0: Because I had the Lord has something to say, and I would like for everybody to hear it. Don't be don't be sheer, don't be shy uh, shy about it. Just come on up, and I'll do the best I can to project. Can you hear me so far? Well, the title of the message this morning is There's Maturity in Humility, Pride Promotes Strife. This is taken from James chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. James, the straightforward, in-your-face, tell-it-like-it-is apostle, tells us there is maturity in humility here in James, uh, chapter 4. As was mentioned before in the messages I gave on the epistle of James, James himself was writing to the Jewish believers who had been dispersed, scattered, in chapter 1, verse 1. Possibly as a result of Stephen's martyrdom, Uh, in Acts chapter 7, in the the year A.D. 31 through 34, James himself was possibly, or rather James himself possibly was a result of Stephen's martyrdom. Or rather, I I said that wrong. James himself was um, Jewish and was the oldest half-brother of Jesus Christ. And his brother was Jude who also wrote the epistle of Jude. James, at first, rejected Jesus as Messiah, but later believed. Now, that's saying something. If you think about it, James didn't just uh, passively follow his uh, half-brother. And he probably thought, man, I just don't believe you. (laughs) But it took a work of God in his heart the Lord opened up his eyes to see Jesus for who he really was, the Lord God and Savior. It was God who convinced him of his heart, or in his heart, from his heart. James also became one of the pillars of the church, of that church, along with Peter and John. James was also known as James the Just because of his devotion to righteousness. He was martyred in AD 62. According to the first century Jewish historian uh, Josephus, James was very strong and very direct in his statements on wise living. I like that. Similar to the book of Proverbs, John uh, Um, MacArthur noted James had a practical emphasis stressing not theological knowledge but godly behavior. James wrote with a passionate desire for his readers to be uncompromisingly obedient to the Word of God. James in chapters 1, 2, and 3 has already covered topics like our speech, our prejudice, putting our faith into action, and our attitude as we go through the various trials in our lives. But the key to grow in all these ways comes in chapter four. There's humility, there's maturity in humility. But if we learn to prefer God and others over self and all things, Then we have the foundation we need to be more mature Christians. Let's pray. Lord, life doesn't always go our way. But you promised us in Isaiah chapter uh, 26, verse 3, that you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Lord, continue to teach us and help us to keep our minds on you, how you want things done, how you perceive things, your principles, that we may live in your wisdom for your glory Pride promotes strife. Pride promotes strife, verses 1 through 6. The big indicator that will let us know if we are humble or proud is this. First of all, the truth of the matter is this. Jesus is Lord over all things. Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20 says this and it says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Romans chapter 10 verse nine says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, says this. This is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. There's other verses in the Bible that say Jesus is Lord, as we all know. But suffice this to show that Jesus Christ is Lord. But as it relates to our own hearts, who is really sitting on the throne of our hearts? Is it the Lord God Almighty? Or is it really me? Humility, in essence, is this. Jesus is Lord over my life in all areas. I put myself in subjection to God in all areas of my life. But if I'm proud, I'm on the throne. What I want takes priority over everything else in my life and maybe over your life as well. So who is on the throne? Is it God, or is it really me, or you? A big eye-opener is this. Just hear yourself talk. How many times does the word I show up in your conversations? Is everything centered around what you want most of the time? What am I going to do? What do I think it should be? Well, what does God think about the any matter or any subject in my life? What does God want? What does God want me to do? Where does God want me to go? Who's on the throne of your life? Who's on the throne of your heart? Is it really God, or is it really you? If God is really on the throne of your life, then you are a humble person. You have self-controlled. You tell self to sit down. Your thoughts, your desires. Self screams at you to do what it wants. You tell self, no. That's humility. But if you are proud, God takes a back seat in your life. And and so you obey your feelings, what you think is best, what you are going to do, without any regard to what God's will is on any matter. The problem with pride is this. When you are proud, you are not listening to God. You're not obeying God. You are obeying and listening to what you think and what you want to do, but not what God wants. You ignore God. James chapter 4 verse 6 says, God resists the proud. This is exactly what happened to Satan. God resists him. Being proud does not come from God. It is not God's will for us who are born-again believers in Jesus Christ to be prideful, full of pride. It's not God's will. James starts out by asking us a question in verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? He says... Is it not the source, your pleasures, that wage war in your members? We know this ourselves, that our human hearts manufacture all kinds of desires, usually selfish ones, pride. James is talking about 1 John 2, verse 16 kind of pride, and that is number one, the lust and sensual cravings of the flesh. Number two, the lust and longing of the eyes. And number three, the boastful pride of life. Again, putting the focus on you, but not God. This is to attempt to impress, you know, that is to impress others with your ability and the things that you possess. You may or may not actually have the things or abilities you are trying to impress others about yourself. Exalting yourself over others. You just feel you have to make it known to everybody how important you really are. The pride of life is not from the Father but from the world. The Greek definition for pride actually is braggadocio, self-confidence. To some degree, it's good to have self-confidence. We all understand that. We need to believe in ourselves and to achieve and do things in our life with God's help. But too much confidence in ourselves more than having a reliance and confidence on God is what James is calling the boastful pride of life. It's arrogance over one's circumstances which will produce haughtiness, having an exaggerated view of ourselves, like having a head like a balloon, ready to be popped. This attitude, James says, is a source of arguments, especially if both parties feel the same way. This attitude can range from the mundane, like, I like a little peace and quiet, To a more weightier, I want power and significance. When someone prevents us from satisfying a desire we have, we are tempted to view that person as an enemy to be defeated. So our natural tendency is to murder and covet. Verse 2 says, you are jealous and and covet what others have. And your lust goes unfulfilled, so you murder. We actually saw that with uh, what David did in order to get Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11, to actually do something that results in someone's death in order to take what they have. You are envious and cannot obtain the object of your envy, so you fight and battle. You do not have because you do not ask it of God. Now we may not want to necessarily kill people, but Jesus reminds us that murder begins in the heart along with hatred. Motivated to severely hurt people, Matthew chapter five, verses 21 through 26. You may want to write that down to get even or even to dominate. The desire to to be first, to be number one, the real issue here is our heart. So do we really want to hurt people if they get in our way? In verse 3, James says, and along with this, you ask and do not receive. Why? because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. It just may be, it just may be that a lot of us are not receiving what we want from God, either because we haven't actually actually asked God, or we're asking God with wrong motives. That's uh, James chapter four, verses two and three. The kingdom of God, the needs of others, aren't really a part of our thinking. Tony Evans says, a helpful question to ask ourselves when we, are, when we pray about something for ourselves is this. How will God's program be advanced through the granting of my request? Something we may want to ask ourselves. In verses 4 and 5, James says, you adulteresses, You whose heart, devotion, and commitment is on everything else other than God. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God because the world does not care about the things of God. Or do you think that the scriptures speak to no purpose, he jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Our God is a jealous God. Exodus chapter 34 verse 14 tells us, for you shall not worship any other God, that small g-o-d. For the Lord who is named Jealous, is a jealous, impassionate God demanding what is rightfully, uh, unquestionably his. Our God will not share his bride, the church, with any false gods. So now, what do you think a holy and jealous God will do when he sees his people Foolishly pursuing, pursuing the world and treating him like an enemy. He's going to oppose and resist the proud. Look at this and understand. If we place ourselves in opposition to God through our attachments to the world, that is 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, he's going to oppose us. God is is going to oppose us. Why, because that kind of pride imitates the king of pride, Satan, who 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 exalted himself above God. Remember Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14? That talks about Satan's pride, rebellion, and fall out from heaven. The only situation to this, or the only solution to this, is to humble ourselves to God in order to experience the outpouring of his grace. Verse 6 says this, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Remember, God's grace is what he gives us, his children. He, he gave himself to us on the cross, John three sixteen. God's grace. He's gracious. He gives his unmerited, undeserved grace of his power, his giving us the desires and abilities to do the will of God, empowering us through the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in John chapter 15, verse 5, for apart from me, you can do nothing. God's grace. God's grace. Praise God for God's grace. Because we can't do it apart from ourselves. God's grace is greater than the power of sin the flesh, and the world, and Satan. Romans chapter 5, verse 20 says, But the law came to increase and expand the awareness of the trespasses by uh, defining and unmasking sin. But where sin increased, God's remarkable, gracious gift of grace, his unmerited favor has surpassed it and increased all the more. The Old Testament quote from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, where it says, though he scoffed at the scoffers and scorns the scorners, yet he gives his grace, his undeserved favor to the humble, those who give up self-importance First Peter chapter five verse five says, "Likewise, you younger men of lesser rank and experience, be subject to your elders, seek their counsel, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Tie on the aprons, tie on the servant's apron, and get to work with serving God by obeying Him and serving others by meeting their needs. For God is opposed to the proud, the disdainful, those who feel that a person is beneath consideration, worthless, and deserving scorn. God opposes those who have that attitude, those who show a lack of respect for certain people. The presumptuous, that's behavior that, f- that fails to observe the limits of what is permitted or appropriate. And he defeats them, but he gives grace to the humble. These verses reveal to us who obtains God's grace. It is the humble, not the proud, Let's look at a verse that really captures the kind of heart attitude God wants to see in all believers. And that is Isaiah chapter 66, verse two. And it says, for all these things my hands have made. So all these things came into being by and for me, declares the Lord. But, now listen to this, but to this one I will look graciously to him who is humble and contrite in spirit. The broken in spirit, the contrite, the dejected, those who are smitten, those who feel deep shame over their sin toward God and give up fighting God. They no longer want to do that. and and who reverently trembles at my word and honors my commands. Do you see that? This is the kind of attitude God wants to see in his people, his followers, to tremble at God's word and honor God's commands by having a deep respect for God's word, taking what God says very seriously. That's maturity in humility. Pride promotes strife, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. So this is what I want us to come away with from this message. Pride promotes strife. If you are noticing there is a lot of strife and arguments in your relationships with others, do you see pride rearing his ugly head in these situations it may just be because you are proud be honest with god in prayer ask god lord am i proud do i have lusts and sensual cravings in my flesh and i have not sought your counsel on that lord have i openly lusted with my eyes have I indulged in the lust in lust without any restraint? Ignoring my conscience in these areas? Opening myself to sin? Ignoring your promptings not to do that? Is that me? Father, am I a show off? Is my heart motivation to try to impress others with what I have and what I, what I think I know? If this is really you, you can see how this is self-exalting. Are you jealous and covet what others have? And or do you just want everything to always go your way? That's pride. Your heart's motivation is to have all the glory, praise, honor, and attention on you, not on God, which is where it should rightfully be because he's God and you and I are not. Be honest. This might require you to spend time with God in prayer and meditate in your private closet with God. After you asked all these questions, just sit there and be quiet before the Lord. Just be quiet and listen for God to say something to you. Psalm 46, verse 10 tells us, be still and know that I am God. Be patient with God. Allow God to to do all the talking. Wait on God to talk, it might take a while. I think this is a great way to allow God to deal with pride in our lives by just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Not saying anything, just wait on God to speak. I think it's important to wait on God to say something to us. It might take a long time in silence, or God might decide to say something to you right away. But learn to listen to God in silence. Look at these passages of scripture to remind us of that and write this down. First Samuel, chapter 3, First Kings, chapter 19, verse 11, through 13. If God shows you you're proud, honestly confess to God. Ask God to forgive you of any and all of these specific sins. Humble yourselves to God so that He can forgive you and allow you to experience God's grace in your life. That's James chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Or James chapter 4, rather verses one through six in closing first peter chapter five starts in verse six says this therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of god that he may exalt you in due time casting all your care upon him for he cares for you be sober be vigilant that is Keep careful watch for possible danger or difficulties because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Now to those of you who never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, do you see here what you're missing? You are missing out. You're truly missing out. God is a relational God. He desires fellowship with us, and yes, with you too. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Listen, this is God's invitation for you to come to Jesus as your Savior right now, just as you are right now. Don't allow stubbornness to reject God's invitation for you to come to Him right now if you are sensing a need to come to jesus as your savior that's god's awakening your awareness that you need god in your life jesus jesus is saying to you take my yoke upon you and learn from me because i am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest in your souls For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. His yoke is easy and his burden is light means having a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord doesn't mean that you no longer will have burdens in your life. But he's saying the weight of life's burdens will decrease. Like a suitcase that's packed full of stuff might be too heavy to carry. But if the suitcase has wheels on it, your burden will become lighter, even though your circumstances haven't changed. God can put wheels on your burdens so that you can deal with them more easily. Jesus will share life's burdens with you as you learn to trust and depend on him to meet all of your needs. God's desire that you begin having a deep, intimate relationship with him. The Bible says in James chapter 4, verses 8 and 10, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. God wants a forever relationship with you right now. But you first have to see your need for Him and agree with the truth that you've sinned before God. And you don't want to sin, you don't, you don't want sin to hinder your relationship with God any longer. He'll help you with that if you let him. Listen to what the Bible says in closing. Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 10 and 13 says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For, For with the heart one believes into righteousness and with the mouth confession is made until salvation. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Thank you.